Good evening and welcome to No Pressure To Be Funny. My name is Nigel Farage and my friends and I are looking for James O'Brien. <laughs> That's a joke, of course. My name is Kevin Day and I'm delighted to be stepping in for James this month as he's gone on holiday, probably to Europe, exactly the sort of pinko left liberal place he would go to. He's probably even enjoying being with the foreigners. Ooh, ooh, oh, excuse me, I was feeling a bit racist there. <laughs> Further east in Europe, and you may hear more of this story later, Russia is apparently furious, it says here. I'm going to take out the word apparently and just go Russia is furious over remarks by Prince Charles likening it to Nazi Germany. A Moscow spokesman said, this is a quote, it is better for royalty to be seen and not heard and then taken into a basement and shot. <laughs> Back home, Theresa May made a highly critical speech to the Police Federation. Delegates were said in one paper to be stunned, but mainly because their tasers backfired. <laughs> Theresa May is now to appear at the next secret policeman's ball. <laughs> I wish that were true. <laughs> it's a complete secret where it is, but Amnesty International maybe needed to get her back out again. In fact, the only way Theresa May could be less popular with the Police Federation right now is if she blacked up and walked through Brixton singing Legalise It. This is an odd and slightly controversial story. Uh, Hezbollah students in Iran, and I imagine their tequila promotion nights are fun, uh, they've called for Leila Hatami, an Iranian actress, to be publicly flogged for kissing the president of the Cannes Festival. It was a little peck, peck on the cheek it was, a little peck on the cheek it was. And at first you think that's totally unreasonable, the reaction in Iran, I mean. But then you look closer you realise that although she is wearing a headscarf, she hasn't covered the crown of her head. So, you know, that is well slutty. And Conchita from Eurovision has been blamed for causing the Balkan floods. <laughs> this is according to the Patriarch of Montenegro, who's the leader of the Eastern Orthodox Serbian Church. That's the Eastern Orthodox Serbian Church, not to be confused with the leader of the Western Orthodox Serbian Church, the Southeastern Unorthodox Serbian Church, the South by Southeast Eccentric Unorthodox Church, and the Northern Orthodox Right Arm Over Three Balls to Come Church. I'm not sure how an Austrian transvestite actually fits because technically he's allowed to have a beard because he's a man. But he said that the floods are washing Serbia of its sins. And I can't help thinking if that's what God does to you for letting a transvestite singer live two countries away, he's going to be pretty cross with me when he finds out about my neighbour Christina, who's Chris by day and delightfully Tina by night. <laughs> leave a pause, it says here. <laughs> Don't leave it that long, it says here. It's now time for our musical guest. He is the winner of 2014's Musical Comedy Awards. His Twitter name is Dave Has Mates, which means he's not the Prime Minister. Please welcome David Elms. Oh, sorry. Hi. Oh, that doesn't normally happen. Thank you. Are we good? Are we well? Yeah? Uh, I'm sorry if my voice is a little bit... Uh, I, I work in a call centre, uh, so I've, I've been doing a lot of crying. Uh, <laughs> it's really me up. I've just got to plug in my um, plug in the guitar. It doesn't have to be awkward there. Don't know why I mentioned it. Get... Oh. Um, so this first song is called "Phonetic Love," and I hope you like it. Is that right? I don't know if it's too loud. Some people can find me a bit much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I met a girl who works on the radio Not AM, FM, but one run by NATO So I'm going to woo her the only way I know how Using the phonetic alphabet now I am an alpha male. Get on board, guys. It's a long song. <laughs> a bit like Johnny Bravo. My name is Charlie Delta. Charlie Delta. Did anybody else hear that echo? Don't don't start clapping. We'll be here all night. <laughs> Foxtrot on the golf course and then back to my hotel. If you're into me, I'm Mindy. 
well. Juliet, well, that's a very, very, very nice name. It's just a shame that it isn't your name. I keel over when I see you. And as true as Lima's the capital of Peru. I'll use this microphone to make you remember our love, cause I'll be gone till November. Oscar winner, that's what you should be for acting out so well my fantasy. But in a way, I'm glad you're not in the movies because of Papa. Paparazzi. I wish I could speak French like they do in Quebec. The language of love could really help us connect. But that doesn't mean I can't be your Romeo. Just cause I wasn't born near Ontario. Canada. Sierra Tango. Pronounceable initialism that stands for stop teasing you, woman. Maybe whiskey was a bad way to start. You'll need an x ray just to find my broken heart. If you don't answer Yankee to my invite, do you want to watch Sulu tonight with Michael Caine? Thanks very much, guys. Enjoy the show. David Elves. Our panel this week, please put your hands together as they come on and welcome Bennett Aaron, Ellis James, Rich Pepiat, and Kate Smathwaite. Louder than that. Come on. Bennett Aaron is an award-winning writer, actor, and Welsh stand-up comedian who recently, it says here, didn't get paid for a TV writing job. So welcome to No Pressure to be Funny. You're not not getting paid for this. Uh, Ellis James is also like Bennett, a Welsh comedian, which I think means we're in line for a grant this month. (laughs) Former Daily Star journalist Rich Pepiat once spent a day wearing a burqa for a news story. I wear mine just for the fun, but he needed an excuse. And Kate Smirthwaite is a comedian, political activist and pundit who recently appeared on Question Time, mainly to warm up for appearing on this. Ladies and gentlemen, the panel. And as a way into our first discussion, we start with Devil's Advocate. Please welcome Mr. Alistair Barry. Thank you. This, uh, this month's Devil's Advocate. The Devil's Advocate believes James O'Brien was right to go into hiding. <laughs> well, if people are indeed sick of politics and politicians, the media have got a bloody funny way of showing it. And I don't mean funny ha-ha, I mean funny as in tummy. And we all know what happens when you've got one of those. You get horrible shits, in in case case anyone wasn't following. It would be nice to have turned on my television just once this week and not seen Mr Toad goggling bug-eyed back at me, but it wasn't to be. Whether smugging in Thurrock, tweeding on Today, twending on Twitter or photoshopped on Facebook, Little England's stockbroking man of the people could be found poop-pooping left, right and centre, but mostly way to the right, where all the scared people live who think untrammeled immigration and membership of the EU is the cause of all our nation's ills. After the council elections on Thursday, it would also appear that UKIP has a new heartland. Norfolk, where people tend to think of black people like they do motorways, they've seen pictures, but they don't really believe they exist, (laughs) has been superseded by Essex, which means overtaken by, for anyone in from Essex. To watch the BBC, you'd think that nothing short of a revolution had occurred, that Nigel was marching into number 10 unopposed, the only black spot of his week being the announcement that George Osborne respected him, as if they were players in some sort of right-wing rap battle, which, bizarrely, they sort of are. 
This, we are being told, is a political earthquake. Sorry, my maths aren't great, but UKIP gained 17% of a 36% turnout. If this is an earthquake, it registers at about the same level as the one in Dudley that caused tens of pounds worth of damage in 2002. This has been a great week for UKIP, undoubtedly, as they somehow appear to have bought more free publicity than they could have hoped for in their wildest dreams, even if their wildest dreams are pretty tedious and tend to revolve around warm beer served in glasses with handles, Morris dancing across green fields where the cricketers don't just wear white. <laughs> Having generated a considerable amount of that publicity last week, I don't blame James for going into hiding one bit. I'd be ashamed too if someone used my radio show as a platform to dismiss all of Romania. <laughs> I'd also be ashamed to write a monologue about UKIP, which is why I'm going to into hiding too. So, toodle-pip, or as Nigel might say, poop-poop. I'd like to point out we're not all at home to cynicism here. My 18-year-old son, who just turned 18, voted for the first time on Thursday night and was absolutely delighted, thrilled to take part in the electoral process. And in Croydon, where we live, it went Labour. And we've persuaded my son that it's entirely because of his vote that the council went from Conservative to Labour. So he's, he's an 18-year-old who firmly believes that voting is important and the right thing to do. And I'd like to keep that attitude throughout the discussion rather than just dismissing all politicians as idiots. But off the back of what Alistair said, Kate, why is it you think that London bucked the national trend so dramatically in rejecting UKIP? Well, it wasn't... It was, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure the rest of the nation embraced UKIP. I think that might be a bit unfair on the rest of the nation to suggest that. But, um, but it's quite hard to hate immigrants when you know them, isn't it? That's the first thing. <laughs> like, like, living in London, you can't possibly live in London and not actually be friends with people from all of these countries that are supposedly stealing your job. And when they're not stealing your job, they're just sat next to you, helping you out and fetching you a coffee and being a part of your job. It's quite difficult to get all sort of riled up with rage. But even Nigel himself said it's because the capital is is too well educated, which is quite, it's quite a horrible confession, isn't well, it? It's uh, like, well, you'd all vote for me if you were only thick. <laughs> to be fair, it wasn't actually him who said it. It was one of, his, uh, it's one of the few women who said that London people were more media savvy and more clever. There we go. Which if you were a UKIP vote in whole, you'd be furious about, I imagine. Yeah. Because it, he's basically saying, we are targeting the dim. It's, it's interesting, Rich, again, because UKIP's share of the vote, actually, and we are talking about the other parties in a moment, it's not just UKIP, but their share of the vote, in case people accuse us of being part of the metropolitan elite. Uh, <laughs> no offence to the hey, world. We're, we're too good for that. But, but why is it, Rich? It, I mean, their share of the vote has gone down from last year, but watching BBC on Thursday night, you really wouldn't know that. And it does seem, and from your experience working for the Daily Star, are... The people who accused of... I love how many times you just repeat repeating the fact that I used to work at the Daily Star. So it's amazing. I'd, it well, gets it's the audience on your side, I find. Well, it's, only because, it's <laughs> only because I'm astonished to find it's not somebody throwing alphabet spaghetti at a wall and picking up the letters. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that somebody actually works there writing it is <laughs> incredible. But it, it, people who are accusing the, the, the BBC of being scared of the Daily Mail and not giving UKIP the sort of ride and challenge they've given to yeah. others. Is, that, is there any truth in that? I think how it works, from my experience, is that, you know, with TV, you've got a lot of designers and graphics people who spend a lot of time making really fancy sort of graphics, expecting UKIP to sort of, you know... When you've spent two days sort of making a volcano that spews purple all over Britain... <laughs> it doesn't matter what the election result is, you want that in, because you spent two days doing that. And, and so the story was always, before the election, was that UKIP were going to do well. And it didn't matter if they did well or not. They wanted to show their graphics. Well, it's because at one stage, the, the, the blue column and the orange column are going so far down, you think they're going to have to dig a hole in the studio floor for this. <laughs> but no-one's talking about it. And, and Bennett, it's, it's interesting. I, my favourite quote is Nigel Farage saying the fox is in the, the hen coop now. Although the fox isn't actually doing much except wandering around going, oi, at the hens. Also, oh, isn't Farage quite anti-fox? He's very anti-fox. Well, that's the question I want to ask about because the only... Uh, the fox hunting is one of the few UKIP policies we can nail down looking through the press. Are there any, it's true. There's, there's three you can probably nail down in particular they're against. They want to bring fox hunting back. They want flat tax, flat rate income tax. They want to privatise the NHS. Uh, their other policies are, I will wait and see. I don't know. Whatever you think. <laughs> but can you... I, I, is it amazing that a party that doesn't seem to have any policies as such 
have been so popular. Because we can't dismiss... It's wrong to dismiss them, because people who vote UKIP, they think they're the goodies. I'm not they don't ride a big tandem bike around, is not what I'm saying, but we shouldn't... We shouldn't <laughs> You're the only person over 35 who gets that. <laughs> but what I'm saying is we shouldn't, dis- we shouldn't dismiss them, because these people are voting in good faith, and it's, it's wrong of us to dismiss them... But why are they voting for them is my argument. Uh, to me, the, the whole point is the fact that he's, he's whatever you think of him, uh, he's quite <coughs> charismatic in so much as you see him and you go, well, there's a character. If I was casting a sitcom, I'd put him as, you know, a, as a character in it. And the rest of the leaders are not, uh, they haven't got much going for them. But some of the policies I, I agree with. Bring back Mindy Language, I think it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know why they're not doing that. But uh, obviously, you know, he wants, um, what was the thing he said about, uh, they want to leave the EU because we're spending 55 million a day in, um, in membership fees, which is the same as most people spend on gym membership fees and don't use it. Um, so there are some th- inheritance tax. So there are some things that, you, that, that people go, oh, as a knee-jerk reaction, you go, oh, okay, do you know what? Maybe, maybe there is something in that. And it's the fact, I, I stick with the fact that it's, it's him more than the party. It's the fact you see him and you go, oh, yeah, I know, I know who that is. He's got something. You look at the other leaders and there's just, there's nothing there. And I know you're not supposed to vote for the person, for the personality you're supposed to vote for the party, but people see him and that's what they remember. Well, I, I feel slightly guilty as somebody who writes sort of I Got News for You every week, because I think they've done for Farage what they did for Boris Johnson, which is to turn an evil right-wing villain into a lovable buffoon. Yeah, Basically, absolutely. They've made, they've made him a cartoon character and given him... Ellis, what's the... Um, What's, what's the Welsh out? Because it's, it's really interesting, because uh, he, he got booed in Scotland, he got booed in, in Northern Ireland, because in Scotland in particular, he wants to keep Scotland with Britain, and they want out of Britain, but in the EU. It's very complicated. Well, what's the Welsh view of nationalist politics he, at the moment? He bottled coming to Swansea. Did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, we've all done that. <laughs> <laughs> I've just, the, the amazing amount of gigs I've had a stomachache on the morning. <laughs> I'd love to come, but oh, I do feel... But uh, he was meant to do a walkabout uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he didn't come because it was, he was advised against it because there'd been a scuffle between his supporters and sort of some anti-UKIP protesters uh, the day before. Um, but Wales has a UKIP MEP. So our four MEPs are... We've got a Tory, one for Plaid, one for UKIP, and one for Labour. Um, and I think they're probably going to replace the Tory party in the Valleys, I think, UKIP. That's what some people are thinking. Oh, there were no local elections in Wales on Thursday, mm. just, the, just the European ones. We don't know what the results are yet. But my problem is, like, with Nigel Farage, I think it is just about him, because he's the only one anyone knows. I don't know anyone who can name anyone in UKIP other than him, who just takes a sort of a cursory interest in current affairs. But I think, I think people can have, can have genuine concerns about the EU... And that's not necessarily a, a right-wing thing. Bob Crow didn't want Britain to be in the EU. Neither did Tony Benn. There are, you know, there are sort of genuine problems. You know, like there's a democratic deficit in the EU and stuff. It's just that people are clinging on to him or to UKIP uh, if they just have problems with the way Britain's changing. I think that's that's they're a sort of catch-all party for people who think, oh God, there's too much curry in our society, and I don't like it. <laughs> But why um, do you think, Ellis, as well, everything, everything, it seems, certainly in the broadsheet, certainly in the BBC, is being viewed through the prism of Miliband. That Thursday night was a disaster for Miliband. They've ignored Clegg, they've ignored Cameron. Why are they focusing so much on Miliband in particular? Is it because they don't want a Labour government? But, well, I think he's the sort of politician that turns people off politics. I have no... I have no... I, I, have, I, I genuinely think that Ed Miliband is academically a very clever bloke. I've got no doubt about that, and I'm sure he'd be an excellent advisor mm. to a charismatic politician. <laughs> but, I mean, the man was made to look stupid by a bacon fucking sandwich. I mean, that is... If, if you can't eat a bacon sandwich without the press using it against you, you need, you need to look elsewhere, mate, because... And, like, he chose Angels by Robbie Williams as one of his Desert Island Discs. You've got to be on that desert island for the rest of your life, you <laughs> lunatic. Come on, man, think. A desert, your desert island is Robbie Williams. And he just seems to be this sort of automaton politician who he, he, I don't think he's made a decision without thinking about opinion polls and, and exit polls. And, and you know, he, he's done some quite good stuff. Like, I was quite impressed with the way he stood up uh, over Syria um, last year and uh, the energy freeze and stuff and he talks about irresponsible capitalism no one else is doing that 
Think about the poor publicans of Brussels who would, who would suffer massively were <laughs> Nigel Farage not to be uh, in Europe. But I it, suppose that's... Uh, okay, that's in, other, in other parties, but what the bibbly cheese did the Green Party have to do to get any profile or publicity at all? Yeah, I know, it's, it's frightening. Because like, there's, there's even a website that's, that called Is Nigel Farage on Question Time? Because he's on every ruddy week, and yet Caroline Lucas gets on once a year as a novelty act. They sort of, we'll either have her or Mick Hucknall, and it's like, it's, and it's really not <laughs> fair. And, um, and, and, and Natalie Bennett, who is actually the leader of the Green Party, she was uh, recently, they've started having her on this Politics Today, which is a regional politics programme, so it doesn't even go out nationally, it just depends what region. But they have her on, and she just talks about the weather. Because that's like the idea that that's all the Green Party are about. And it's really, what is really upsetting is that the coverage that UKIP and, and the, cur- the coverage that UKIP get and the coverage that the BNP sometimes get as well, and I mean, we obviously haven't talked about the extent to which they're poaching votes from one another backwards and forwards, but like we get this reaction where all the other politicians go, oh, well, you know, UKIP are doing very well, so. Um, we better, we better like, sort of adopt some of their policies. We better, we better do something about immigration, otherwise UKIP will get more votes. Or we better, we better be a bit racist, otherwise someone might vote for the racists. As if you did, oh, we'll, we'll solve racism by just being a little bit racist ourselves, and then no one will want to vote for us. But nobody ever goes, oh, quick, build a windmill, or Caroline Lucas will take over. We, we don't, well, when is that panic happening? It never happens. Well, Bennett, one final question before we move on, because we're already overrunning. Do you think, and the BNP's been mentioned, and... and they were the, the, the scare story yeah. in previous years. Do you think UKIP are here to stay? Or do you think we will be wondering what all the fuss was about in two or three elections time? No, do you know what? Sadly, at the moment, the way things are going, they're here to stay because of the coverage he's getting. I mean, um, I've got young kids, and when they see him on TV, they go, oh, it's Nigel Farage, which shows so much publicity. And one of them thought he won Britain's Got Talent, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, and to be honest, he almost did. Um, <laughs> So uh, the fa- if, if the coverage is keeping up the way it is now, then uh, sadly they, they might be here to stay. Well, I'm not going to make a value judgment on whether that's depressing or not, because it's not my job, but fuck me, that's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, please welcome with his monologue, Mr Nick Revel. Thanks, actually. Actually, I just want to take this opportunity to, uh, to tell you that our next show, which is on June the 29th, uh, will be starting at 7 o'clock rather than 730 so that we all have time afterwards uh, to, to watch England play their first knockout stage game uh, in the World Cup. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. That's probably the best joke I think we've ever done uh, on this show, because it's based on the idea of England getting through the group stage. Because in case you don't know, uh, in the World Cup, England uh, are in the group of death. Uh, and it was announced that we were in the group of death uh, before the draw had actually been made. Uh, in other words, England are in the group of death because there are other teams in our group. And, of course, uh, in, in Qatar, the migrant workers who were building the stadiums for the 2022 World Cup, they were really upset and empathetic to hear that uh, England were in the group of death. Group of death, yes, yes, we, we know how you feel. Uh, because I don't know how many of you know this, but the working conditions in Qatar are so bad that they reckon that if... Uh, just Nepali workers alone uh, die at the same rate as they've been dying in the last year or so since they started building, they reckon that 4,000 workers will be killed between now and 2022. To put that in some kind of perspective, the number of coalition troops who have been killed in Afghanistan since 2001 is 3,400, which means that FIFA are more dangerous than the Taliban. I'd love to think that a Navy SEALs helicopter right now is flying to Switzerland to shoot Zet Blatter in the fucking face. Not in the gut, obviously. 30 years of expense account dinners makes him bulletproof. But uh, maybe I'm being unfair to FIFA uh, because, you know, the the Qatar deal was clearly entirely uh, above board. Clearly nothing dodgy in the decision to hold a football tournament in a desert country in high summer where alcohol is not freely sold and where health and safety legislation is a streamlined version of what the Japanese used on the Burma Railway. Uh, And in Brazil at the moment, there's big protests against the World Cup. Uh, As someone said in the LA Times this week, people are using the tournament as a way of getting attention for their political grievances like massive inequality, appalling public services and high-level corruption. You know, it's totally cynical. 
But that's what happens when you give the World Cup to a country with no real footballing tradition. <laughs> what, what the Brazilians don't seem to understand is that grinding poverty and social inequality is precisely why they are so good at football. You've got millions of people living in favelas, violent, dangerous slums run by drugs gangs, gun battles with the army and the police all the time, innocent people getting killed in the crossfire, which gives every young male in the favelas a real incentive to develop speed, the ability to change direction at pace, and to work on their ball skills in the desperate hope of being one of the tiny percentage who make it professionally and manage to break out and find a better life. And this is precisely what Britain lacks. We have no world-class, violent, lawless slums in this country. And until that changes, we are always going to be the also-rans at international level. Ian Duncan Smith is admittedly doing his best to change things, but it's too <laughs> slow. Now, personally... I, just, I, I have to say that I despise the whole fucking bullshit bread and circuses spectacle of it. I really object to it. And I would love to think that nobody will be buying a ticket, no one will watch it on TV, and that FIFA and their sponsors will all be stuffed. I dream, actually, of the players just going on strike in solidarity with their less fortunate and less talented brothers and sisters and walking out and boycotting the whole thing. And I tell you this, come June the 13th, my life will be put on hold for a month. I'll be filling my wall chart, watching every game, I'll be shouting at the TV in the belief that if I shout loud enough, I can affect the result. And you know what? When England get knocked out, I'll feel a moment not just of disappointment, but of disbelief. <laughs> Thank you. Nick Revel. Uh, Kate, one of the very many reasons why Qatar shouldn't have been allowed to have the World Cup is that women are not allowed in the stadiums, they're alone allowed to play football. So before we move on to just talking about the World Cup in general, and apologies in advance to the two Welsh lads, <laughs> uh, we, we, we should deal with a subject that seems to have come to a grinding halt, and that, of course, is the, the Richard Scudamore Well, yeah, issue. Um, the, so Richard Scudamore, head of the Premier League, uh, was basically caught out sending these incredibly sexist emails. And, um, well, there's two things that sort of, I think, need highlighting. First of all, the reason that they've decided to take no further action is because they've said, well, you know, although he sent these horrible emails, overall, at the Premier League, there's no culture of sexism, is what they've said. So there's no culture of sexism at the um, men's Premier League. Like, I don't know if anyone can spot the deliberate mistake in that sentence, but, um, but the average player in the Premier League is paid about 20 grand a week, and the women on the England national team are paid 18 grand a year, um, so there's a little, to me, there's a little hint of sexism, like just, just whiffing around. And some of you are quite reasonably thinking, yes, but the men's game is much more popular. And that's why people are paid more to play it because of the attendance. But the reason that the men's game is so much popular is because in 1921, when the women's game was much more popular than the men's game, FIFA banned all women's matches from all FA-affiliated pitches, and the ban stayed in place for 50 years. So, it, so the women's game is less popular because of an active FA campaign against women. So, so yes, there is sexism, obviously, uh, in football. I think we should acknowledge that, and that's quite straightforward. The other thing I want to just sort of touch on is these emails, because I don't know if you've noticed, but nobody's actually published them. Everyone says derogatory remarks, sexist jokes, blah, 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 derogatory terms for women. And I, I, just, I just like to, to sort of open the can of worms, and, and let's talk about this. Because when I heard that, I just thought, well, what's he said? You know, munters, slags, what's he, you know, what's he, like, you know I'm sort of rolodexing the worst words I know. Richard Scudamar, head of the Premier League, this is the word he uses to describe women, gash. No, he didn't, he wasn't him who used that word. It was, that was, was in the just, email, it was, was it lawyer, it was his lawyer friend who used that word. It was word. his lawyer, that, but still, at the top he of the... He used the, the word the broads, of, yeah. Well, that's like very it was 1950. <laughs> but like... But, like, I just couldn't believe that that word was in there. Like, oh, no, I, would, no, I mean, no, like, and then they're saying, oh, there's no culture of... Do they all, there's no culture of sexism, but they're using the word gash. Are they all wandering around going, I really support gash rights? Um, I'm really hoping for equal pay between men and gash. Um, we have, I need to... Uh, I'm just, every gash. Just without, it's like, oh. I, I want to involve everybody else's, but the, the real cynical reason why it wasn't taken any further is because Richard Scudamore delivered three of the most expensive television broadcast rights deals that the Premier League have had. That's the central reason why there is no wish for the Premier League clubs to take it on. When the club that finishes bottom with the Premier League is getting £180 million from the TV companies to finish bottom, they're not really going to have a go at the man who, who did it. And the thing is with Scudamore is that he has 
football's a village, and I live on the outskirts of it. Scudamore has done a good job for women's football, slowly. He has done a good job for, for women's football. But what did you, Alice, I mean, when you, for you, is it more of an issue of privacy? Is it more of an issue of sexism? What was the... When I first... I actually, I, I'm, I can't work out what I think. Because when I first, when I first read this story, I thought, he's clearly a wanker. <laughs> and he's someone I wouldn't want to sit next to on a bus. I once sat next to Richard Keyes on a bus, and he looked very tired, so uh, maybe him being sacked, he's, he's had to think about some of the things he said. Um, but uh, I thought, he's clearly a wanker, but you can't sack a man for being a wanker, and you can't sack a man for sending uh, a, a private email that, 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 that might, uh, that's clearly abhorrent. But then I thought to myself, you could, you, if, if it had been racist, if he'd been calling... Black, if he'd called Ashley Cole, uh, Cole a nigger or something in this email, people would call for him to go. You can, call, you can sack someone for being a, a, a racist wanker, but I don't think you... Well, at the moment, he hasn't been sacked for being a sexist wanker. Well, it's, there's, uh, there's two separate issues there, and initially, because I used to be a human resources manager, I don't think there's any company in the country that has got, within their disciplinary code, anything that covers emails or phone calls made in private. It's very difficult yeah. on a private account. And the, the racism argument is a different one, I think. I'd like to bring Rich in here because I think most people in football would argue that racism is more of an issue than sexism is. There are two Premier League clubs run by women, Sunderland and West Ham. There are no black managers in, in the entire football. There are no out gay footballers. There are issues in football that need to be dealt with. But there are a lot of women, far more women in terms of physiotherapy, in roles. To I've also seen in the last 15 years... Um, it, w- women attend far more matches now than they did in the 90s. That's, yeah, it, that's, that's, like, that's been a huge change. And Sean Massey's a referee. That was unthinkable 10 it, years ago. It's, a, it's actually nothing to do with... It, with it, it's actually... What annoys me most about this story is, is uh, Barclays Bank. Because... Um, uh, oh, yeah. Barclays Bank announced that they were not going to renew their uh, sponsorship deal with the Premier League uh, because of this uh, sexist row, because of what Scudamore had said. Barclays Bank got on a moral high horse over this. (laughs) Barclays Bank thought that they could clamber up a moral high horse because of a sexist email. uh, We're running out of time, unfortunately. Uh, Regardless of what the issue was, it does seem at the moment that... it, there's a four-legs good, two-legs bad argument going on in that. Even though Scooter Moore realised what he'd done and apologised straight away, that wasn't an issue. It's that everybody had to take a side. There was no nuance. You were either totally abhorred and he had to go, or you thought women were being silly and it was a storm in a teacup. There was nothing in between, it seemed. Yeah, I, I'm going to take um, a slightly different view on it in as much as I just went, oh, we shouldn't have said that. It was a private email. Mm. I mean, to me, that's... Um, I'm in dressing rooms with comedians quite often who have interesting views on things that they don't <laughs> that they don't take on stage. And to me, this is something that somebody wrote in a in an email that wasn't meant to go out, that was picked up in the same way. I'm sorry if I'm standing on something that might come up later, but in the same way as the um, the Prince Charles thing that was said in a private conversation, something that, that was picked up. And I don't agree for a moment with what he said. Of course, I don't. But it wasn't something that he said publicly. Yeah. And I think you've got to be very careful with, you know, private uh, data of, of that ilk, really. Okay. Yeah, well, I, like, I sort of agree in the sense that, there, that it is different, whether it's private or whether it's deliberately said, although, of course, it's on a, a work email, blah, blah, blah. But I think, I think that, that this idea of, oh, we either have to fire him or we go, oh, it's all totally fine. Actually, what would be amazing, and this applies, because I don't think that it's a question of should we deal with sexism or racism or mm. homophobia. We should deal with all of those things. And we talk about how many women, in the, I mean, how many black women? Let's actually talk about where all these uh, situations come together. What would be amazing is, is if what came out of this wasn't Richard Scudamore does or doesn't keep his job, but was we put some really solid procedures in place that challenge the culture that underlies this so that we don't just go, well, that man said it, he has to go. But we go, hey, we know lots of people say this kind of thing. Let's talk about when it's acceptable, when it's not acceptable and actually build a culture that's different. Um, And it's funny because you said right at the beginning, like, oh, I'm sure most of the men in this room have said that sort of thing. Great, let's not go, have you said it? What about you? Mm. You look shifty. Let's go, hey, sure, everyone said it. Let's talk about in the future. Let's make sure it doesn't happen because actually it's quite a damaging thing. I think that the, the good news is that the FA have got no choice. Um, whether they want to as, a, as an organisation or not, the FA will have to take that f- thing on board. And the other thing is as well, I know for a fact that Karen Brady, who's a CEO at West, uh, West Ham, Margaret Byrne, who's a CEO at Sunderland, 
have both spoken to Scudamore privately, and I've interviewed both those women, and if they terrify him as much as they terrify me, he won't be doing it again. They are two of the, they are, seriously, they are two of the most formidable. All my light-hearted questions went out of the window straight away. The, uh, but they are the most... The, so what's interesting is I think it's more their personal commitment that will change it than the organisation. And from what I gather, what I hear, he is actually... He was mortified, and what I hear, he's actually chastened and is made fully aware of what, what he did and why it was wrong in the circumstances. So I think some good has come out of it. I, I, I don't think the FA can go back into entrenched sexist views, to be honest. So. I'm sorry. We, we can all agree we'd like to see more gashing football. <laughs> that's an adjective. He's, he's talking about gashing. Gashing yeah. football. The, the, gash that's like flowing football. Flowing the ex-Everton uh, and Scotland... Uh, footballer Pat Nevin was once fined a week's wages for going to an art gallery. So football clearly has big problems. <laughs> I mean, Graham Rousseau was called gay every week for well, reading it, The Guardian. It, it, it's only five years ago that Perry Groves was suspended from Five Live for a couple of weeks because when told that the assistant uh, referee was a, a woman, he went, fuck off. <laughs> uh, but I've also, I think on a... <laughs> And he said, aren't there enough midwife jobs to go around? To which Pat Nevin said, you can have a male midwife. And Perry Rose went, if my missus ever had a male midwife, I would kill her. (laughs) Is this after she's given birth? uh, um, uh, Also, I think just for the the two Welsh lads, I think we need to end this by thanking... uh, It was a Welsh footballer that seems to put Luis Suarez out of the World Cup. So we can thank you both very much. Who are you supporting in the World Cup, you two? Belgium. Ah. I went to watch Wales play in Belgium in October, and uh, I don't know if you know this, but the, the beer's 10% in Brussels, and um, I don't remember any of the game. I, um, last time I went to Belgium, I woke up in the morning with a hangover that was so bad, I couldn't remember whether I was an undercover policeman or not. <laughs> <laughs> Bennett, who are you supporting? Uh, uh, as my uh, children are half Spanish, I'll be supporting Spain. Oh. Although, to be honest, if they were half German, I'd be supporting Spain. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're going to start the second half now. We're going to start it in the same way we started it in the first half with uh, some brilliant music. I love that song. Can't stand the fact he's so young, but fuck it, you know. He's got a bit of disappointment to come. <laughs> so please welcome David Holmes. I've been told that normally the, the, the sort of musical people, they do one uh, topical song as well. Um, uh, but for me, what what could be more topical than love? Um, <laughs> so let's do another one of those. Um, this song uh, this song is about love, um, uh, but it's mainly about how I find it quite difficult to be sincere. And thanks very much. You guys have been great. like a movie (laughs) the two of us run screaming down the street and people can tell we're in love and when we picnic in the park We put food on our faces We know that's not the way We know that's not the way you eat But we're just in a dream Having fun with the strawberries and eggs like a movie And when we're making love we never smile We're caught up in the moment And there's nothing funny about The faces and the noises 
when I come out of my deck It's never gross And once I come out of my deck We can look each other in the eyes Just for the podcast, I'm looking at a man in the front row. <laughs> He's nice. <laughs> and it is like a movie. Thanks very much, you guys. Have been great. Enjoy the rest of the evening. Thank you. Hey, Logs. Thank you so much for all your uh, comments. This is, uh, I'm going to ask this to, to Rich. Uh, this question, I, li- I like the way it's put. Does anyone care if Nick Clegg gets sacked? I don't. <laughs> right? And what I find interesting about this, Rich, is that you know, there's so much fuss about uh, Ed Miliband didn't know the price of his weekly shop. And you kind of think, well, they're all a bit like that. David Cameron left his kid in a pub. <laughs> Nigel Farage gets racist when he's sleepy. And Nick Clegg told fucking lies about tuition fees. Right. So as far as I'm concerned, he's the worst. But yet, it seems to be a victory for him, the fact that he wasn't wiped out in the polls. Sorry, he's Nick Clegg? There you go. <laughs> but you yeah. think, Kate, is that, it seems Nick Clegg does seem to have slightly got off lightly, considering what he's done. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's, I mean he, the Lib Dems have been absolutely smashed because, because people have gone, oh, we voted for the Lib Dems because we wanted all those policies, and then they've discovered that that wasn't what they got at all. And I, 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 really, hope that, I really hope he does go and that, and that the Lib Dems realise that the only way they can sort of gain any credibility is to elect a new leader who's going to actually stand for something because they built this coalition and then the Tories did whatever they want. And at every moment, you just wanted Nick Clegg to go, no, sorry, if you sell the NHS, we're going to fuck off. Or they could have gone, oh, no, 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 if you don't at least give halfway. They could dissolve the coalition at any time. They've never even threatened to once. What's the point of being in a relationship if you don't chuck your chips occasionally and say you're going to walk out just to get your own way? I've never been so angry with someone that I would chuck my chips away. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just hold on to the chips and the bottle of brandy. Thank you very much. Um, uh, This person asked two questions. I'll answer the first one because the second one we haven't really discussed and it's addressed to me. It said this about Scudamore again. It says, Kevin, if you know that Scudamore feels deeply ashamed about his remarks, how come no one else seems to know? Perhaps because he hasn't said publicly. Um, That's a very fair point. He did make an apology quite early on, and it was quite mealy-mouthed, to be honest. And that's possibly, cynically, before he realised what sort of stick he was going to get. But he has has apologised since, and I think what's important is that Heather Rabatz, who's one of the (coughs) heads of the the FA, has taken his uh, apology at face value. So I do genuinely think that out of a really unfortunate incident, something good will come out of it. And on a similar note, and I think, Bennett, this is addressed to you because of your comments about um, being in dressing rooms with uh, you know, worse language than that, is, is the inference that sexism is worse in the comedy circuit than it is in the football association? <laughs> uh, yes. Um, there's, uh, yeah, I, it, it's really weird um, how some people who I know in private will have different views to those that they are... And yes, um, dress, comedy dressing rooms, as we all know, um, will be phenomenally, um, can be phenomenally sexist, um, and um, and sometimes even you know from the men. But it's, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, it it uh, it does happen. But I've got a I've got a, a, a massive thing about privacy, and the fact that if you're saying if I'm out with friends and and they say something that I don't agree with. I will speak to them, and we can argue about it. But those things that are private and said privately, they then be picked up in the public domain, um, I, I generally think um, isn't right. I mean, Look, you know. Kate, would you make... Because obviously, as a comedian, you're in dressing rooms a lot. Would you, would you make more allowances for things that are said in context by people whose job it is to see where the line is, to push the line, and who then go on stage and wouldn't dream of actually... Well, yeah, but as far as what goes on in dressing rooms, I I won't lie to you. If I'm in the dressing room, nobody ever says anything bloody sexist. (laughs) (laughs) I'm afraid I can't. It's not represented. Yeah, once I've gone, I bet they all do. But uh, I find it because Nick and I are from an old. I hesitate to announce this because you'll be astonished looking at our youthful faces. Uh, (laughs) But Nick and I are from a generation where where we're in like the second or third generation of alternative comedy. If you like, we'd missed the actual start. But there are things said by (laughs) we're not that old, but there are things. What I find now is a euphemism. There are, I, I detest ginger jokes because ginger jokes now 
are exactly the same jokes that we used to fight against. They're the same. They're racist. They're horrible, nasty jokes. And yet, it's the same with Chav. There's so many comics will do jokes about the working classes, the ginger, but then there'll be a nudge, and it's like. I, I sometimes look at it and I think, Christ, you know, we, had, we haven't made that much progress at all. But I, th- I think the opposite, Kevin. I think that, 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 that comedy's always about breaking boundaries. And there was a point where comedy had gotten quite racist and sexist and all that kind of stuff. And there were boundaries broken with, like, oh, alternative comedy. Well, now we're going to actually turn it on its head and we're going to call out the sexists and the racists and we're going to call out the political establishment and, oh, brilliant, look, here comes Ben Elton, the world's about to change. But we've, we were so successful at that that now comedians are like, oh, let's break some boundaries. And the only boundaries are the new ones that we put in to get rid of all the shit we were so now it's like oh look at me I'm edgy I'm doing sexist jokes and you're like yeah that's that's what Jim Davidson used to do that's actually not edgy that's the revert that's counter edgy I don't know what that's uh, spongy or something that was a postmodern and ironic uh, oh, Ellis right. uh, can I ask because along with Ginger Chav Welsh has become shorthand as well. There are a lot of anti-Welsh jokes. Does that, does that bother you or do you, do you rise above it or do you th- tell I, Welsh jokes yourself? I think as Bennett's been on the circuit for longer than I have Oh, go and rub it in. <laughs> but I imagine that he'd be able to back me up that it's changed a bit because years ago, the only Welsh comedian was Noel James. And then... Well, and yeah, then John Sparks. People and John Sparks him, as well. Yeah. But he, he didn't yeah. do the circuit as much. No. But on the stand-up circuit, there was a brilliant comedian from Swansea called Noel James. And he, he got it at every gig. Every single gig. And the only time I get called a sheep shagger now is it happens about twice a year, I think... And in very rural places, I'll be in. In a I'll, field. Yeah, I'll shots. be in. But I'll be. <laughs> but I'll be in Lincolnshire. And someone will go, oh, sheep shag, and I'll think, we're in fucking Lincolnshire. <laughs> Look around you. I mean, nobody's got any signal. I mean, <laughs> what? What is? Come on, guys. Um, and it doesn't happen very often. And I thought it would happen loads. And I think people like Noel and Bennett and Rod Gilbert, who've, who've been around for longer than I have, really took a bullet. My favourite memory of working with Noel James is he turned up at a gig three hours early to cover himself head to toe in blue body paint oh, yeah. for a Smurf joke and then forgot to tell the audience the Smurf, Smurf joke, joke at the start <laughs> of the gig. Basically, to the, to the total amusement of everybody in the room. Which is, um, we're gonna do, uh, we want to move on to a slightly less... Uh, Serious topic, and this is—I don't know if you—if you're aware of the Longitude Prize, which has been announced recently. The Longitude Prize was originally awarded to John Harrison, a scientist in the late 18th century, who invented the marine chronometer, so ships knew where they were. Uh, also, it turned up in uh, *Only Fools and Horses*. That's how Del Boy and Rodney managed to retire in comfort. Um, so it's been—it's been revived. Somebody else has put the money up for a Longitude uh, Prize. So my question is. To the, to the panel, what scientific invention or innovation would you like to see to make the world a better place? Bennett. Uh, um, a scientific invention that finds that God exists. <laughs> oh. Just that, you know, just that people go, we don't know what to do now. Just, <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be yeah. brilliant. It must be hard for scientists now, though. There's not a lot to invent, is it, really? Now, Richard, well, you've, you've circumscribed this, because you've invented a film, Rich, haven't you? Well, it's funny you should mention that. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, uh, yeah, I have invented a film. Has um, it won any it, awards, Rich? Has it won any awards? No, it hasn't, actually, but thanks for pointing that out. No, it's, uh, it hasn't been released yet to win any awards. I but you've uh, been nominated for Best Documentary. I have been nominated. That, that, yeah, I don't think we'll win. But yeah, I've made a film. It's called One Rogue Reporter. Uh, it's a documentary that's based on my, uh, my comedy show that I toured. Any of you go and see my comedy show? Yay! <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'd rather none of no one had seen it rather than one person. That's like the sound of one person clapping. That's yeah, it's the equivalent one rogue of reporter and, and one, one rogue audience member. <laughs> one rogue audience member. There you go. It's uh, it's basically it's a, it's a comedy. It's a it's a film where I go after tabloid newspaper editors and delve into their private lives and hire paparazzis to follow them around and uh, shaft them, basically. Um, and, and, and I suppose the highlight is Kelvin McKenzie getting done over like you would never believe. So you should come and see it, 21st of June at the Rio in Dalston. Uh, or if you live in Sheffield, which I doubt any of you do, it'll be at Sheffield Dockfest as well. Um, but if you want to ask me what my invention would be... Nah. No. <laughs> well, what would your invention be, Rich? Well, I think if you like, have bread that was like pre-sliced, that would be, that would be a great one. That would be a great Ooh. idea. Pre-sliced bread. Nice. Cake. Well, my my gut reaction is alcoholic yoghurt, but I'm not quite sure why. Um, Oh. Was that a deliberate deliberate pun? Gut reaction yoghurt? Yeah, yeah. You're working on levels these boys can't understand. um, (laughs) 
I'd like uh, some sort of app that can prevent a text from being sent once you've clicked send. Ooh. So you know halfway through the process when it just says sending and you realise, oh, I've written a nasty thing and I've sent it to the person I've written a nasty thing about by mistake. Oh, God! That, that, I'm not that that happens very often to me because I'm, I'm full of empathy. Um, <laughs> but but uh, occasionally uh, my iPhone will autocorrect incorrectly and there'll be an apostrophe where there shouldn't be and it really bothers me. And then I have to send another text going, I, I actually understand the rule about possessive apostrophes. <laughs> Sorry, but I would like to do the gig. Um, you, why you, I deleted your number, funny enough. <laughs> but, uh, can you write in Welsh on your, on your iPhone? Pardon? Can you, can you do Welsh on your iPhone? I tried writing material about this and it didn't work. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I, um, I've just got a new phone and my old phone, um, I'd written in Welsh in it so much that um, autocorrect had basically learnt Welsh. Oh. But now I'm in that transitionary period where it's trying to turn Pembloid sort of birthday into dumbfounded. Um, well, here's a little tip. If I don't check, <coughs> it makes my text look insane. We, we do have to move on, but here's a little tip for you that I've been watching a lot of young English comics lately. A lot of young English comics. Turns out it's quite hard for you to play Scrabble. <laughs> Apparently, you've got a lot of L's. <laughs> I don't know if you want to run with that, but I've got lots of I young mean, comics. That's the type of, of thing that yeah. Noel James was having to battle against yeah, every yeah. week on the comedy <laughs> super. <I know. laughs> it didn't help. It didn't help that he was standing there painted blue for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> It's astonishing. I just, I, it, I almost admire the naivety. It's, it's like you can almost tell a comic in the well, you know, nineteen. They don't do it. Then about twenty-one, they will deliver the information. That there's a lot of elves in Welsh, as though they are the first person yeah. to have ever delivered it. And then they're wondering why well, there's people like me and Nick at the back going, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" <laughs> oh no, I teach because I teach a comedy course, and and there's a certain there's a certain guy who shows up to the course, and there's almost always one per group. And, and I go, oh, you know, go home and write down a funny story that happened to you recently and we'll share those and see if there's some material in that. And one guy went home with a woman who turned out to have a dick. And I'm like, I don't even believe you. I don't even think it's true. Uh, you know, I was in a bar in Thailand. No, you weren't, mate. This didn't actually happen. I know it didn't happen. You've heard this joke in the pub. Stop telling it. It's horrible. It's transphobic, homophobic, and it's absolute bullshit. And that's why I asked for a refund. <laughs> <laughs> So you can from tell me it's or from the woman with the dick. <laughs> <laughs> I always think you're never going to top somebody saying from me or from the woman with the dick. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for your uh, taking part in the show and for your energy and for your enthusiasm. So please join me in thanking our contributors tonight. It was Ellis James, Kate Smurthwaite, Rich Pepiat, and Bennett Aaron. I've been Kevin Day. Thank you very much. Good night. <laughs>